The Daily Rios Digest, Volume 3, Saturday, October 14th, 2023. The Keith Giffen Edition. Jeez, when I was eight years old, I decided I wanted to do comic books. I was, I was a huge fan then. And like an idiot, I said, oh, I want to do this. And I worked uh, kind of diligently to get in uh, against the... Um, Against the opinions of everyone around me, everyone thought I was nuts. Everyone okay. thought, you know, oh no, you should do this. You should uh, uh, take a course for this. Or it was, it was ridiculous. I, I had to fight it, but I was the only person who really thought I could get into comics. Hey everyone, this is your host Peter with the fifteenth digest of this third volume, covering Monday, October 9th through Friday, October thirteenth, twenty twenty three. So I mentioned that this is the Keith Giffen edition, and by the time you hear this episode, the news of Keith's passing on October 9th, 2023, is most likely weeks old. You may have heard the tribute that Eric and I did on Tales of the Legion Project, episode 16. Along with the other CGS guys, we talked about Keith on episode 1916, and with Daryl and Hassan, we covered uh, one issue each that we wanted to remember Keith by on DC All-Stars episode 15. So it probably is no surprise that I would want to do something here on the Daily Rios on one of the Digest episodes, much in the same way that I did when it was announced that George Perez had passed. So instead of uh, doing one segment per day, you know, targeting each day this week, I'm going to use the five segments to look back at Keith's 48-year career in comics. So beginning in 1975 and going 10 years each segment, I'm going to highlight some titles, his place in the industry, and what it all meant to me personally as a comic book reader who absolutely adored his work. The Perez tribute was mostly clips of George Perez pulled from various interviews, but for this one, I'm going to use just a few clips and throw them in as bumpers, uh, like I normally do in the digest between different segments. And hopefully they will be reflective of his many, many thoughts on his own work, on comics in general, etc. So that way you get a taste of what Keith Giffen uh, was like if you don't already know. So no new Comics Wednesday on this digest. No Danger Street. We'll get back to it all next time around. For now, for this digest, let's just talk... Keith Giffen. At one point, Paul came to me and said, look, he's writing the leads. I'm writing leads to superheroes. Would you like to do some backups in the leads? Believe me, they didn't trust me to do a full book. So I did a dream girl backup and just little backups in uh, uh, the Legion superheroes. And then when Paul needed a regular artist, he asked me if I want to take on the Legion book. So I started doing Legion of Superheroes, and it kind of grew from there. Legion of Superheroes sort of got me back into the business firmly. I was making my deadlines, and then the rest just came out. 
taking a look at Keith's first decade in comics, 1975 to 1985. I'm describing it as The Rookie, The Rise, and The Rebel. So I'm only going to focus on what I know for this first decade, which means all of Giffen's Marvel work and anything that is prior to... Um, his Legion work, I'm just not familiar with. So these are titles or comics that I've read, that I'm aware of, uh, or maybe that were in my collection. Um, and I, I really just wanted to start this decade with the very first uh, Keith Giffen comic that I owned or, or that I picked up. Um, and that would be Legion of Superheroes 304 from July of 1983. So this is late in, in this first decade. And he's already made a name for himself on Legion. We're well past the Great Darkness saga. Um, and as I played that uh, bumper clip, you know, the Legion is the thing that finally showed that he could be a creator uh, worthy of, you know, being someone who could uh, have a name for himself. So all of the Legion stuff, Legion of Superheroes, Tales of the Legion, the Baxter Run, the Legion of Substitute Special, anything that could showcase his humor, his visual gags, uh, the Looney Tunes humor that he likes and and this morbid morbid humor that he has. That was all stuff that was sprinkled throughout his Legion run. And it was in small doses until he gets to that Legion of Substitute hero special where he's able to go wild with his collaborators. And you can really see a path from Easter eggs, visual gags, ambush bug appearances, uh, the way he treats the substitute heroes, this special leading all the way to eventually Justice League International. So this first decade, Keith Giffen and the Legion, that's a very obvious thing. Um, I did talk about Legion of Superheroes 304 on one of the Tales of the Legion Project podcast episodes. It was titled Our First Legion Issues, so you can listen to that and you can hear us discuss uh, my first issue and Eric's first issue as well. Also late in this decade, I really remember the All-Star Squadron Annual Number 3, written by Roy and Dan Thomas, that had different chapters of different members of the JSA as drawn by artists that sometimes were uh, connected to that character or just were guest artists for the annual. So this is from June of 1984. It features the villain of Ian Karkle, who has this plan in the early 40s to go after all of these um, men. And you don't know why he's going after them. You don't know their names until the end. And then it turns out that somehow he got the knowledge to go after all of the people who would eventually become future presidents. You know, uh, Nixon, JFK, Carter, Reagan, etc. And 
when he was defeated, when Ian Karkle was defeated, his energies were dissipated and they reigned over all of the JSA and this was supposed to be some kind of explanation as to why they are so long-lived. So the um, Keith Giffen chapter was focused on Dr. Fate. Now at the time that I read this in 1984, I didn't have any knowledge that Giffen had a connection with Dr. Fate because of those backup tales that he was given in the Flash series, and those backup tales were written by Mike W. Barr. So he had this connection with Dr. Fate, I just didn't know it. In that annual, Wayne Boring uh, did the Superman chapter. Don Newton did the Batman chapter. Um, Martin O'Dell did the Green Lantern chapter. There's even a chapter with Our Man by George Perez, which is really beautiful. Um, so Giffen is doing this, um, Dr. Fate chapter. He's going up against Karkle. He lands in the middle of this room that is entirely made of flesh with shadows and, and just darkness. And he's struggling not to be consumed and overwhelmed by Karkle's power. He's having this conversation with Naboo. Uh, struggling not to be defeated. There's this one panel of Dr. Fate trying to fire off one of his onks, and it's just being held back by shadow. Um, this is all a good six to eight months after starting this art progression during the Omen story in Legion of Superheroes. So there are no gutters. The panels are just black outlines smacked up against each other. There's a claustrophobic feel to it. There's so much black ink adding to the confrontation with this shadow being. And it's clearly got um, Giffen's, uh, Munoz, um, for lack of a better word, inspiration all over it. And it is completely different from anything else in the annual. And this would be the style that he would play with and go back and forth with for a while during this period. This is well documented. This is well talked about uh, in interviews and on other podcasts. And it's, I remember hearing from Giffen saying that this wasn't an evolution of his artwork. He was just bored with what he was doing previously and he just needed a change. And that word boredom comes up a lot when um, when he gets tired of either doing an art style or if he if he's on a book too long. So, but for me, I remember that chapter and how different it was, and and it definitely does stand out. September of nineteen eighty four, he starts to do three um, backup tales in Atari Force in various issues, mostly featuring the character of Hookah. And they are usually silent or very humorous, very Looney Tunes. Um, he drew two of them. He inked one other one. And they're just a lot of fun. March of 1985 gives us the very first Ambush Bug miniseries. The character has shown up before in DC Comics Presents, Action Comics, a random Supergirl issue. Here he is in his own miniseries, part comic, part humor magazine, part comic strip, the first of many mini-series mini or one-shots with the character. And in my mind, 
a character that only feels right when Giffen is involved. And most of his other appearances besides that, all the way up to current appearances, they just don't ever feel right at all. Because Ambush Bug was Keith Giffen. He really was. I didn't mention Omega Men because that was a title that I didn't pick up directly off the rack. I collected that series as back issues, even even though um, it was coming out at the time. So, But that did begin in January of 1983. Giffen admits that he felt like he wasn't right for that book, which I find odd because it feels like it would be something right up his alley considering what he did with Legion of Superheroes. He wasn't on it for long, but they are worthy issues regardless. And then we'll wrap up this decade, and I'm going to do this at the end of every segment, talking about one uh, project or one title or one issue that I feel um, is kind of like the breakaway or the uh, you know personification of that decade, if you will. Uh, so still in my collection to this day, I have the very first DC science fiction graphic novel from September of 1985 entitled Hell on Earth. Uh, apparently there were seven of these. I thought there were only four because in the advertisements they listed four, but they did seven of them, which is amazing. They were uh, in the format of the graphic novels at that time, which means they were not quite square, but close enough, 8 by 5, uh, 8.5 by 11 inches. Uh, and they were $5.95, which in 1985, that's a lot of money. Bill Sienkiewicz did the covers on the first three, and the notion was that they were going to take short stories or stories from science fiction writers of note and turn them into graphic adaptations. So in this first one, we have Robert Block, who also wrote Psycho. Uh, they took his short story that first appeared in March of 1942 in the pulp magazine known as Weird Tales called Hell on Earth. And we have Keith Giffen, who's credited first, and then Robert Lauren Fleming. Um, Greg Theakston was the inker, Bill Ray Colors, Gasper Letters. And they do a graphic adaptation of this story. Other stories in the series include a story by Harlan Ellison. Uh, the third one was Ray Bradbury with Klaus Janssen doing the adaptation. And the seventh one was J.R. George R. R. Martin, uh, his story called Sand Kings, and that was by Doug Monk and Pat Broderick. So this story is about uh, scientists and a writer who raise hell on Earth, who raise Satan, try to capture him. And then, of course, all the consequences that happen because of that uh, and how the demon inhabits their bodies and, you know, can see what their inner desires are, etc., etc. It's it's scary. It's experimental. There's some humor to it. And it's Giffen doing uh, all of that stuff that he talked about, how, how that Munoz artwork got in his brain. And it's very abstract. It's the Giffen art style where faces are very elongated, people are very thin-looking, um, 
uh, there's a cartooning aspect to it, but there's also an abstract aspect as well. Most of the pages are 16 panels. Again, this is almost square bound. So instead of doing nine panel grids uh, or, you know, three by three, he's doing four by four. And it works for this story, even if it means it's going to take a while to read. And then when it gets into the more demonic sections and into the more wild sections, there's a feel of this looseness, this abstractness of just going wild, drawing faces and smiles and demonic um, uh, features in this, like, the, the word I have to use is abstract. It's almost like a kid came in and decided to draw over what was already on the page. If you think of Bill Sienkiewicz and the way Bill would draw Warlock in those early New Mutants days, where the eyes were wild and, and were different sizes, and his hair shot off in all directions, and and parts of his body didn't look like it was attached to him, that's very much what was going on here. And as a kid, again, this is 1985, September of 1985. So I am only 12 years old as I am reading this. It was different. It was different. It was scary. It shocked me. I don't know if I fully understood what I, what I was reading at the time. And I probably should read it again to see how much more I would get out of it. But I feel like since this is a story that is not D or, or not superheroes and it's not set within the DC universe to really showcase what Keith was trying to do, um, this is a good example, you know. Yes, you could go pick something from his Defenders run where he's aping Kirby or you can go to his Legion of Superheroes run where, you know, he was talking about he had to meet his deadlines. He had to do the work because up to that point, both companies had let him go at different points in his early career because he was missing deadlines and he thought he, he knew everything and he was kind of snotty. But on the Legion stuff, he was like, I got to do this. I got to make a name for, my, for myself. But here with Hell on Earth, he can go wild. He can go wild he can take chances and he can put all of what maybe he had learned in this decade into this graphic novel and it just sings. It's, it's just really an amazing um, showcase of an artist. Like, go back and pick some of his early stuff from this decade and then look at this and you're like, well, how did he get there? And then you have to like go through all the titles to see you know you have to go through defenders and you have to go through challengers of the unknown or um you have to go through legion of superheroes and a mega man and ambush bug and then wind up here and it's a fascinating fascinating read and it's a fascinating journey uh i remember telling dick giordano i i, I don't want to do any more lobo i i want off the book and he said, no, you know, you, you got to continue it. And I uh, made it a deal with him. I said, look, uh, I said, let me continue. I'll, I'll continue. I'll do it. But the first time you censor me, I get to leave the book. And I said, you know me well enough. I'm not going to do anything deliberate. I, I know the confines of comics. I'll just continue telling the story. The first time you censor me, I'm off. And he goes, okay, fine. He thought I was a professional. Right. <clears throat> it lasted until, I think, the fourth issue of Lobo's back when, the, he, when he, I killed him and I sent him to heaven. 
and he met Torquemada and the Inquisitors of Doom. And that wasn't the original page. The original page was Combat Christ and the Howling Apostles. <laughs> and I remember Combat Dick, Christ, Combat and, Christ the and, the Howling and the Howling Apostles, which I thought was, I didn't think it was such a big deal, but Dick called me up and said, okay, you win, you are. Taking a look at Keith's second decade, this is going up to the end of 1995. This is peak era Keith Giffen, the height of his creativity as both uh, uh, an artist, but especially as a writer. And this is the era where he is DC's golden boy. So in this decade, he completely reshapes Amethyst. He takes over the Hex series. We get another Ambush Bug miniseries, Son of Ambush Bug. Even more Legion of Superheroes stuff with the Cosmic Boy miniseries or returning to the Legion of Superheroes during their Baxter run with issue 50. Uh, Random issues here and there in titles such as DC Challenge or Fury of Firestorm. Uh, Nexus, Nightmask, Justice, Starbrand, stories in Secret Origins. And he's being used as a uh, as an artist, as a fill-in artist, but he's also being used for his ideas. And this is where we get a lot of those credits where it will say co-plotter or plot by Keith Giffen. And then he's usually working with a scripter that will handle the dialogue. And then comes February of 1987, Justice League number one, Keith Giffen, J.M. DeMatteis, Kevin McGuire, all of their other colleagues on that first issue and all the issues that followed. This is it. This is, you know, when I say peak era, when I say DC's golden boy, This is the beginning of it. This is the culmination of everything that came before it in terms of what Giffen could do and how he could push the envelope at DC and going into Andy Helfer, the editor's office, and saying, when can I do the Justice League? When can I do the Justice League? And then we get that issue and comics just, you know, it it becomes something that, nobody has been able to replicate and then it just keeps going march of 1987 keith giffen goes back to dr fate with a four issue miniseries again with jm dimitaeus david hunt on inks uh it does have a justice league cameo in or i mean i guess it's a little bit more than a cameo but they do feature in some of the later issues and this artwork is not like what he did with all-star squadron but it still evokes some of that uh, completely reshaping Dr. Fate. August of 1987, he does the Video Jack uh, miniseries over at Epic with Carrie Bates. He gets to do his first event at DC with Invasion in October of 1988. And then spinning out of that, January of 1989, as if he didn't already put his name all over Legion, he gets to create a new concept entitled Legion, the acronym Legion, and gets to chart a course for uh, that concept, but in present-day DC Universe. And he did mention that 
he wanted to just be there for the first year and then eventually he would let you know other people take over but he would show up every now and then february of 1989 justice league is so popular they get a spin-off called justice league europe march of 1989 with an aquaman special that will lead into a mini series he gets to attempt to restructure aquaman September of 1989, again, back with the Legion, a new Legion volume, the Five Years Later Legion. He gets to take that concept, run with it completely, again, learning everything that he has learned up to that point, and do the Legion world as he wants to do it with all of his collaborators, the Beer Bombs, Al Gordon, and, you know, others, and... You know, if you listen to the Legion Project podcast, you know my love of five years later. It is a monumental series. So, um, you know, again, that's why this decade is peak. It is completely peak. It's Giffen right at the top of his game. uh, And it's amazing. But it doesn't stop there. November of 1989, he takes over Green Lantern Emerald Dawn, the first miniseries with issue number two. And then he would also uh, work on the second miniseries in 1991, which reshapes Hal Jordan's origin story. September 1990, we get Lobo, the first Lobo miniseries. And that would be followed up with Lobo's Back and other one-shots. That character rising to his popularity. August of 1991, we get a Ragman series um, with Pat Broderick on artwork that reshaped that character uh and then january of 1992 five years after starting on justice league he finally wraps up the entire creative team at that time wraps up their justice league america and justice league europe titles and they would eventually be handed over to um i think dan jurgens took over justice league america i forget who took over justice league europe but that's a long run. That's a long run to do the Bwahaha era of the Justice League. And it defined that book for, for quite a while. May of 1992, another event, Eclipso, The Darkness Within, which would lead to an Eclipso series. July of 1992, Heckler, number one. November of 1992, he is off Legion of Superheroes with issue 39. May of 1993, the world of Image comes knocking at his door and he gives us Trencher and then also works on other titles such as Super Patriot, Images of Shadowhawk, Bloodstrike, Freak Force, Legend of Supreme, Agents of Law over at Dark Horse, Magnus Robot Fighter at Valiant, a few issues of Exo Mano War. And all of this is because of the success of things that came before it of Keith Giffen just making a name for himself in terms of creativity and interesting ways of looking at superheroes. And I mean, that's just that's just an amazing decade for his work. What I'm going to spotlight here at the end comes from July of 1995 from Valiant. It is entitled Punks, P-U-N-X. It only lasted three issues and a special, a manga special, even though they teased an issue four at the end of issue three. It is totally satirical. It is a parody based on 
uh, harbingers, people with special abilities. That's what they call them at, at Valiant. And the characters are Aslan, Cram, Frontline, Hellion, Gutter Rat. The style of art, artwork is similar to what he did in Heckler with a little bit of trencher underneath, like in some of the backgrounds and in some of the um, coloring choices that the colorist uh, threw in there. I mean, there's you can you can sort of see there's still some trencher here, but he he goes back to a style that isn't so abstract and isn't so wild. It is a complete parody. He parodies everything from superheroes to manga to images, um, obsession with boobs and buns, and he even spoofs in the second issue Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics, which is brilliant. Um, let's see, Claude St. Aubin did the inks for this title, and um, like here in issue three, Issue 3 opens with a previously, just for one panel, but it says, let's face it, considering the way the industry is going, what are the odds of picking up any new readers? And, if that's the case, why waste a page of story droning on and on about events that whatever readers we've been able to hold on to are already familiar with? That was the humor that was spread uh, all throughout this title, but it's been there ever since, you know, Legion of Substitute Hero Special, since Ambush Bug. Um, he never took it too seriously. These were comic books, after all. Uh, but what a way to go out with this decade. It's probably not the best example of, you know, certainly not his height, because it was a title that was canceled. But it is Giffen at his satirical best, and not afraid to say, hey, yes, I know I'm at the top, but I still want to do comics my way. It's a comic book. There are certain things that everyone understands about a comic book. And this trend, and it was really strong uh, during my latter days uh, uh, in the business, of just taking it so seriously and trying to play it. We want to play it like real life. And I go, why? But you show me in real life the guy who can fly or the guy who can shoot rays out of his eyes. Or, or you know, I always told people, I'm going to come on the book. I'm going to tell my stories. I'm going to do weird stories. I'm going to do weird things with the characters. You're not going to agree with them all. But if I'm going to leave the book, I will leave the book in the same condition it's in when I came on board. Keith Giffen in his third decade, leading up to 2005, as I give an overview of this, these feel like the nomadic years of bouncing around different companies, different publishers. Uh, he's back to being a rebel of sorts. A lot of his runs are shorter, shorter stints as writers, as a writer or an artist. In fact, I feel like he definitely is more of a writer in this um, decade uh, than in previous decades. So we get titles such as Lo another Lobo miniseries, Death and Taxes. He works on Book of Fate in 1996. He does very little in 1998. We get Vexed uh, in 1999. We don't get much listed in 2000. 
Uh, again, though, like when I do my research, um, it's all user-based. So, you know, I might be missing some information. In 2001, he does a run on Suicide Squad that I really enjoyed, and that would be with the artist Paco Medina. In 2003, we get another Lobo miniseries, Lobo Unbound. This one has Ambush Bug in it. In 2003, perhaps as a way to return uh, to uh, a property that people were, you know, that was incredibly popular, or maybe as a way to say, hey, I'm still here. 2003 gave us the formerly known as the Justice League miniseries, reuniting most of the creative team and bringing that concept back to DC Comics, which was then followed up in 2005 in a story called I Still Can't Believe It's Not the Justice League, which ran in JLA Classified. And then he does his personal series, Reign of the Zodiac, also in 2003. In early 2005, Keith Giffen is very much the inspiration for Ross Ritchie to start Boom Studios. And we get Hero Squared with J.M. DeMatteis again and, um, you know, another uh, comic in the flavor of, of Justice League. And then for this decade, uh, I want to talk about, uh, from March of 2004, Thanos. Thanos, number seven, Keith Giffen takes over from Jim Starlin, and he reclaims, again, himself for a whole new era. Um, It is no doubt that working on this series in 2004, one of the assistant editors for this series was Andy Schmidt. All of this would lead to handing Keith Giffen the keys to Marvel Cosmic. But before he gets there, he writes six issues of this Thanos series. Um, I've talked about this before. It's called The Samaritan Storyline, where Thanos, Thanos finds himself at a crossroads after the first six issues. Um, he decides to go to a place called The Crunch, perhaps to recreate himself or just to get a broad view of the universe around him. And Keith Giffen gets to go wild in Marvel Cosmic and create all these new ideas and bring back certain characters. And we get, you know, Star-Lord in a version that is post-war, very cynical, not the Star-Lord that we're eventually going to get in Guardians of the Galaxy. We get Gladiator of the Imperial Guard. He's part of this series, uh, part of this storyline. The Beyonder is part of this storyline. We get introduced to the first Herald of Galactus. And Thanos says, I thought that was Silver Surfer. And he's like, nope. Uh, So that's a whole new concept. His name is the Fallen One. And it's Keith Giffen, you know, being able to take Thanos and everything that Starlin built for the character and take him into a new journey. And it is a fantastic set of issues. It's like Keith Giffen getting excited um, in the Marvel Universe and Marvel Cosmic and with a character that he can explore other characters with. There's a great conversation that Thanos has with Death in one of these issues. And um, the artist is Ron Lim. Now, I don't know if Ron is... um, doing the art based on breakdowns from Keith, but we get this conversation between Thanos and Death, and Death shows up to him as a a pixie figure, a, a, 
a, a younger version of you know like what she might be it's actually feels it actually feels to me like it's keith giffen taking neil gaiman's version of death and making her even more quote-unquote cuter manga-ish if you will but she's not the death that we know from the vertigo universe at all so they have this great bit of dialogue um he says to her all that i did i did in your name and she says you would have made it a gift to me would you not a universe devoid of life you would have made it a gift to me to what gain without life there is no death which completely stuns thanos to silence and then it continues i no longer serve you mistress death the things you mortal cl- mortals cling to she says i am far from mortal not to me and then it ends i have always loved you thanos of titan to the extent i am able learn how to love me i am well worth the effort and he ends it by saying good to know it is so good it is such a great way to redefine thanos away from starlin but into a whole new way and i just remember reading those issues and going wow wow this this is great eventually he would follow this up with drax the destroyer also nick fury's howling commandos at marvel all of this leading to annihilation in the next decade unlike a lot of these events i've been part of there is no one person aside from really andy as the editor but that's always the case there's no one person no one creative force steering the book i did the annihilation prologue I got the Silver Surfer miniseries. I had nothing to do with what went on in the Super Scroll and Ronin or, or in, in, in the Nova series. I mean, I was aware of what was going on because Andy kept me in the loop knowing I'd have to knit everything together. But part of the challenge was taking these miniseries now and taking these characters where these other writers and other creative teams have left them and then integrate them into the book. That just made my job a hell of a lot easier because I had guys like Abnett and Lanning and, 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 and uh, uh, these other creative teams on the books telling me who the characters are and just you know that's just that just lets me uh waltz on in there and just focus on the action beats and then move the character uh, forward the way they've already established them just yeah. made my job a lot easier here we are keith giffen's fourth decade leading up to 2015 and all i wrote here as a way to uh, encapsulate this decade he's back we get more boom studios work with titles such as Tag and Jeremiah Harm and some Heroes Squared spin-off series like Planetary Brigade. March 2006, the Annihilation Prologue. He would also work on the Silver Surfer Mini, all of this leading up to the Annihilation event and completely reshaping Marvel Cosmic for a number of years. And we would get, you know, Nova's Return, the Guardians of the Galaxy, all the Rocket Raccoon would be making himself well-known again in the Marvel Universe, Groot, all of these things that we love about the Marvel Cinematic Universe in terms of Guardians of the Galaxy, it's all here. I mean, it all really came from the brain of Andy Schmidt and Keith Giffen and all of their collaborators. March of 2006 also gave us Blue Beetle number one, Jaime Reyes's first series after appearing in Infinite Crisis, and he would be connected to that character for a while. May of 2006, 
52, issue number one. Keith Giffen does all the breakdowns for that weekly event that was truly an event for DC Comics. He would later write the 52 Aftermath miniseries for Horsemen. July of 2007, he returned to Annihilation and wrote Annihilation Conquest Star-Lord. August of 2007, he takes over Midnighter with issue 10 at DC and then Wetworks with issue 13 for a short while. Well, I say DC, but, you know, through Wildstorm, but they were at DC at this time. July 2008, Ambush Bug Year None miniseries. July 2000, also in July 2008, the Rain and Hell miniseries, which I've never read. August of 2009, he does his version of Doom Patrol. September 2009, he writes Magog. November 2009, he picks up Authority The Lost Year with issue number three, running with the ideas of Grant Morrison. May of 2010, Booster Gold, starting with issue 32 with J.M. DeMatteis. And then all of it gets swept away in 2011 for uh, DC's New 52. And he gets to write and or draw and, I guess, co-plot OMAC, uh, random issues of Green Arrow and Superman, he-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which he inherited from James Robinson. Then there was a second miniseries, and then a third entitled DCU versus Masters of the Universe. Some of that intrigues me. I, I kind of want to read his He-Man comics to see if he put any kind of Kirby spin on them. Because some of those characters feel like they could come right out of a New Gods comic. Uh, June of 2013, he writes Larflees. December of 2013, Justice League 3000, which would be followed up with Justice League 3001, a title that I have and still have not read, but I really should because it feels like not only is it is it Keith Given doing Justice League, but it's also in the world or in the time of Legion of Superheroes. May of 2014, he writes, uh, or he's part of New 52's Futures End weekly event. June of 2014, Infinity Man and the Forever People. And the book that I'm going to talk about for this decade comes in January of 2013, entitled Threshold, which was his attempt to do for DC Cosmic what he did for Marvel. So it's a character known as Jediah Call, who was a former Green Lantern. And you have characters such as Lady Styx, Star Hawkins, Space Ranger, Tommy Tomorrow, Captain Carrot, but not quite the same spelling, Stealth, formerly of the Legion title, the new god known as Lonar. Uh, there was a Larflees backup in this. It's the DC co Cosmic space opera book that I always wanted, but it only lasted eight issues. Some of it had concepts spinning out of Blue Beetle. He guest starred in this series. Some of it spinning out of Green Lantern, New Guardians. I want to say it's almost like he was trying to do Star-Lord and Rocket Raccoon in the DC Universe. And that's where we get Jediah, and that's where we get Captain Carrot. Um, it, it, yeah, it's it's got Tom Rainey artwork and other guest artists. It's jam-packed full of ideas and concepts and it didn't stick, but I just adored flipping through those pages 
and I really should, you know, actually finish reading it at some point. But for me, taking everything that he did in this decade, um, I picked this one because it's not the highest thing in this decade, but I felt like, um, you know, it's that, well, let me see what I can do and let me shake up the things that I love about the DC universe. Even if it doesn't pan out, I'm going to put my all into it. And we got eight issues of, uh, of a series that I, you know, I wish lasted longer. Yeah, if asked, yes, I, I'd be I'd be more than happy to do that. But, but you know, it, it, there's, there's a big difference. There's a difference between giving the creative um, uh, advice. In other words, well, you know, would Lobo do this or do that in this circumstance? But if they're, um, like here, I'd be more than willing to do it for Jason Momoa, and uh, I'd be more than willing to do it for whoever was in Blue Beetle, the, the actors in the movies who want to get the character right. I'm more than happy to talk about it. I will not give any ideas to them any ideas but when it comes to the directors and the producers they go fuck themselves you know <laughs> i mean why are you asking me you 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 did it you agreed to do the movie without me being involved why are you coming to me now you're just going to screw it up which brings us to the fifth decade the final years leading up to 2023 not quite 10 years this is, you know, Keith Giffen's swan song. Beginning March of 2016, he writes Sugar and Spike in the Legends of Tomorrow anthology. May of 2016, Scooby Apocalypse, I, I believe with Jam Dimiteus again, uh, going all the way up to issue 31 in 2018. I remember when those Hanna-Barbera titles were announced. Many people scoffed at them and said they wouldn't last. But look, that lasted up to 31 issues. August of 2016, he writes Blue Beetle again for the DC Rebirth era. September of 2019, Inferior 5 with Jeff Lemire, set during the time of Invasion. Keith Giffen going a bit full circle there. Um, it's a decade with not a lot of output, and a lot of, the, a lot of it I'm, I'm just unfamiliar with. But the one that I'll end with is one that Keith was proud of. From 2018, Auntie Agatha's Home for Wayward Rabbits, a six-issue miniseries at Image Comics with artist Ben Roman. And Keith had worked with Ben on I Love Halloween, which was an original English-language manga from 2006 through Tokyo Pop, because Keith Giffen has some manga stuff in his biography. He did some translations and obviously this original manga. Um, this is an absurd, dark humor, modern day anthropomorphic fairy tale, fairy tale, if you will. The Rabbits Talk, um, you know, and my favorite book growing up was Watership Down. So, of course, uh, this was a series that I, 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 first of all, really should read but that I was like very aware of and and I was like oh I have to read this I'm I'm sure with Keith Giffen's humor this is going to be bonkers and it's about well like the title says a home for wayward rabbits and it's in danger and Agatha and her niece Julie care for damaged and dysfunctional rabbits and it's all being threatened by a wealthy businessman and um, it's just an absurd title. 
and feels, again, like something that um, speaks to the creativity of Keith Giffen, speaks to how he can go from Marvel Cosmic to DC Future to a story about talking rabbits, because yes, of course. And all of this to say here at the end that um, I guess part of the reason why I wanted to do this is because with creators like this, it's good to know that there are still so many titles and so many comics yet to read and yet to discover. And maybe you heard something in all of these segments and you thought, oh, I didn't know he worked on that. And let me go look that up and let me go read it on the Marvel app or the DC app or go buy it in a back issue bin. Um, I know for me, the formative years, all of that stuff prior to his Legion run, I really need to absorb because I just don't know it. I'm, I'm unfamiliar with it. And, um, you know, there are articles and there are interviews yet to be heard, articles yet to be read. Uh, there, it, it's just a wealth. It's a wealth of talent and creativity and comics. And there are other writers there are other creators who are just as talented and just as creative, but there will never be another Keith Giffen. So thank you, sir. Thank you, sir, for all the laughs, for all the amazing dramatic moments, for all the Legion stuff, for all the ambush bug, ambush bug stuff, for Lobo. Uh, thank you for being you and never, never giving that up. And thank you for all of the comics yet to be read and yet to enjoy and uh you know his name and his work will live on email me peter at the dailyrios.com go visit the daily rios website and instagram follow me on twitter peter j rios review me on your favorite podcast catcher send me your promos send me your audio talkback clips this has been the daily rios episode 641 for Saturday, October 14th, 2023. Talk to you soon. The Legionnaires always had this, this, uh, it used to drive me crazy. Um, they used to have plaques in front of them. And <laughs> on the plaque was the superpower. <laughs> and it was always super something. It was like telepathy wasn't good enough. It was super telepathy. <laughs> and karate kids always said, Super, Super karate. karate. <laughs> and I, 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 I couldn't live with it. I, 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 so I figured the best way is, is, to, is to kill the character. <laughs> is, is to get rid of the character. And I killed him three times and I keep bringing him back. <laughs> Super karate. <laughs>